Okay, good evening, everybody. It is wonderful to see you here. Thanks for being here. For those of you who were uh, with us at our fall retreat this weekend, that was a sweet time. And for those of you who weren't, I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Uh, I know this is that time of the semester where you are just running out of energy, running out of gas. You are tired. You are longing for reading days. I, I hope that you know to expect to get less done and less sleep than you need. But I hope that it is sweet and good and encouraging uh, all the while uh, this coming weekend on your days off. We are continuing the series in RUF on community. We're talking about what it means to be the community of God, because RUF is a community. It's an expression of community, and, and all of our lives are marked by our experience of, of, of community. And, and the community of God is marked in really particular ways. So we've talked about how it's, it's a Christ-centered community. We've talked about how it's a missional community, how it's a repentant community. Last week, uh, Justin Clement was here, talked about how it's a forgiving community. And, and tonight we're going to talk about how the community of God is a suffering community. It's a community that suffers. And, and the, the community of God's willingness to embrace that is one of the things that sets it apart from really every other community that exists in the world. We're going to be in Matthew 16 tonight in a, in a verse, and I know some of you are, are less familiar with the Bible. Uh, if you are, this is a verse that you, you've probably heard before. But I want to give you a little context of what's happening uh, earlier in Matthew 16, because these conversations are actually important. Um, Jesus is with his disciples in a, in a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is kind of in the north end of, of Israel. And um, earlier in Matthew 16, there's a couple of conversations that, that happen in the same place that are important. One of them is that Jesus asks his disciples this weird question. He says, who do people say that I am? What, what is the word about me? What are people saying about me? And people start to answer. And then eventually uh, Jesus says to, to Peter, well, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so you got this declaration by one of Jesus' disciples that he is uh, the Christ, that's the Messiah, that's the rescuer sent from God to bring healing to his people, who is in fact the Son of God, God himself. So it's a pretty, pretty amazing declaration. And then, and then right after that, you have this really weird interaction between Jesus and, and again, it's Peter, where um, Jesus is starting to talk about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. He's going to suffer and die and then rise again on the third day. And Peter doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't like this because Jesus is the rescuer. He's not going to die. And so he, he comes and tries to correct Jesus. And if, you, if you've heard the story, if you're at full conference, uh, Dan actually referenced this where Jesus says, get, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand what I'm here to do. I'm actually here to suffer and to die and to rise again. So th that's what we've just heard. If you're reading through Matthew and you come to this section where we're going to be starting in, in verse 24, you've just heard Jesus declared as the Christ, the, the Son of God, who's going to suffer and die and rise again. That's what we've heard. And now we turn to verse 24. It's printed on your, it's printed on your bulletin, or if you have your Bible, we're in Matthew 16, 24 to 28, but it'd be great for you to read along with me as I read. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Let me pray and we'll get started. Uh, Lord Jesus, we... Uh, we are here and you know that we come tired and you know that we come from all kinds of strains and struggles. 
all kinds of sweetnesses and joys, uh, but we need you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work right now through your word in us, that we might know you and love you more and love one another. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anyone here uh, pulled an all-nighter yet this semester already? Okay, a few people have. Is anyone here, uh, how many of you have ever pulled an all-nighter in school? Okay, why do we do this? <laughs> what did you say now? Because life, life is hard. That's a pretty good answer. I mean, so, sometimes we do it because we were like lazy and stupid earlier in the week or the semester. But sometimes we do it because we're just busy and because there's that much work and we don't know what else to do. And so we just stay up all night. But I, I, the, the reason that we're willing to do something like that, when it would feel a lot better to go to sleep, is because we know that a brutal night is worth what the outcome might be, right? You only have an all-nighter unless you care about that assignment or that report or that paper or that exam, right? And, and in fact, that, that way of thinking is uh, manifest in, in all different parts of our life where we're willing to go through really hard things in order to get something that we want. That's why if you played high school football, you went to two days in July. Like, why would you do that? Why would you sweat that much? It's not safe. But, well, you, you want to suffer a little now so you can win later, right? This is, this is why you practice for hours and hours on the clarinet or the piano or the tuba or the, the trombone, in my case. I was the band captain in high school. It's a, not a part of tonight, but we should talk about it sometime so you'll understand me better. Why do we practice these things? Why do we go through, why do we do scales and things that are no fun? Well, we want to be able to shine when the pressure's on, when things count, when people are paying attention, right? It's why we go on diets. It's why we go on long runs on Saturday mornings when we're training for a marathon, right? We, we're willing to endure hard things because of something that we want to get sometime else down the road. And um, I, I think of one of the most vivid things that I think of in this idea of things that are suffering now to get something good. This is something that uh, probably you don't have that much experience in yet. Most of you, maybe you will someday. But I, I think of uh, my wife Maggie and how she carried these four babies inside of her body and then birth them into the world. A lot of suffering to lead to a lot of life and joy. The, the story that we are looking at tonight, this passage, it cuts right to the center of the ways of God, the ways of the kingdom of heaven and of the person of Jesus himself. And what is at the center of those things is this pattern of suffering before glory. The path of the life of Jesus is the path of suffering and then glory. And so what we're going to see tonight is that as the community of God's people, we want our story and our existence to be shaped, shaped by that, that same story arc. Suffering and then glory. Because that's what Jesus does. He walks in suffering and then to glory. And so what I want to do is I want to simply look at these, these two things tonight. The way of the cross and the way of glory. Okay, the way of the cross and the way of glory. We are a suffering community first because of the way of the cross. This is what Jesus says in verse 24. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my people, if you want to be the community that is with me, then you have to act like I act. You have to do what I do. And so I want you to, I want to just, just stop here, and I want to ask you a question. It's the same it's sort of the same question that Jesus asked his disciples earlier in Matthew 16 that I referenced. And, and the question is, uh, who is Jesus to you? Because when you come to a passage like that, it becomes a really, really important question. Is Jesus to you a, a really good teacher that you can look up to? Is Jesus to you sort of a, a, a metaphor for good morality in the world? Is Jesus more of a, of a mythological hero for you? 
Is Jesus just a kind of a really good guy who was in the right place at the right time? If, if he's those things, you don't need to follow him. But if he is who Peter says he is, if he is actually the son of God, if he is actually the Christ, the, the rescuer that God sent to heal his people, his community, then we actually really want to follow him. And it's something I want you to, I want you to wrestle with because we, we tend, if, you, if you're like me and you grew up going to church a little bit, you, you have an idea of who Jesus is. But uh, when I was your age, I, I thought of Jesus as kind of a, more of an idea than a person who I really wanted to follow with my life. But he's saying, follow me. So the question really matters. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat what it means to follow him. Here's what he says. Deny yourself. Pay attention to what you want, to what you feel entitled to, to what you feel you deserve, to what you are hoping for and longing for in your life, and then say no to it. That's what Jesus says it means to follow him. And, and, I, and I know not everyone here tonight is, is a Christian, but Christians uh, believe in the God of the Bible who is described, uh, we use the word uh, triune God or the Trinity. Have you heard this word? Th- this refers to this idea that God is this perfect person. This one single person who is actually manifested in, th- in, in three persons, or one being who's manifested in three persons, one God in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And these three persons uh, interact in this perfect dance of harmony and love and peace and worship for all of eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that Son, that eternal person of God, who has dwelt with the Father and the Spirit in glory, in heaven, for forever, that's who Jesus is. So I want you to see that even in the birth of Jesus is this act of denial. Jesus denies himself glory. He denies himself eternity. He denies himself heaven to be born into a dirty and broken world full of broken people. That's that's the birth of Jesus. It's God's self-denial. That's where he starts. And and if you think of the life of Jesus, and especially the ministry of Jesus that's recorded in in the four Gospels, you see this person who uh, doesn't really have a home. He's traveling all around. He's denied himself uh, a family. He's denied himself a steady income. He's denied himself usually a good night's sleep. And then, of course, you see Jesus walking towards what in the cross is the ultimate act of self-denial, where Jesus denies not just privilege, not just opportunity, but he denies his very life. He says no to his life. And, and I want you to, to realize for a second that Jesus didn't want to do this. Jesus wanted to live. That's what he wanted. And we know that because the night before Jesus dies, when he's in the garden and he's praying to God, and he's in such agony that tears are dripping down his face into the ground like blood, that he prays that God would take this cup from him, that it would pass. And then he says, nevertheless, not what I will, but, but what you will. Do you, do you understand that Jesus is saying, I don't want to die, but I will. I will actually say no to my desire to live. It's, it's kind of a, a pretty good basic definition of what suffering is. Not getting the things that you want, right? 
uh, some things that we don't want that we want and we don't get are uh, relatively small. Like you might want Chick-fil-A today, but you can't have Chick-fil-A because you live in Lexington, Virginia, and you're not up for a drive to Waynesboro, right? That's that's like little s suffering, right? It's not getting what you want. But of course, there's there's big suffering. There's longing for life and getting death. There's longing for freedom and getting oppression. There's longing for justice and getting injustice. There's longing for healing and getting sickness. There's longing for wholeness and getting pain. We experience this in all kinds of ways, right? The community of God is a suffering community because it's a community that says no to itself. And, and I want you to just think of, of a quick example here. Um, you, ever been to, you ever been to church and they take up an offering and they like pass around little plates or little baskets and people put their money in the baskets? That's saying no to yourself. That's denying yourself. That's your money that you could use for yourself that you're saying, no, I'm not going to use it for that. I'm going to give it. That's a little bit of saying, no, it's a little bit of self-denial. When you practice hospitality, when you spend time with a friend, when you give up your comfort, when you give up your time, when you give up your energy, those are all little forms of self-denial that are the marks of the people of God. And when Jesus gives himself up on the cross, when he says no to his life, it's not just a saying no to himself. It's a saying no to himself for the good of other people. So that you and me and millions of people of faith around the world and throughout history can have what John says, life in his name. It's what we talked about the second week, the missional community. It's so that he might be a blessing to the whole world. The self-denial of the Christian community is not just a thing we do because it's the right thing to do. It's actually because... We want to give ourselves away for the good of other people, for the benefit of those around us, for the blessing of those around us. My, my hope is, is that my life, that my family's life, that RUF at WNL's life, that my church's life is, is more and more mar- marked by this willingness to say no to the things that I want, the things that we want, so that we might be a blessing to people around us. We might give ourselves away like Jesus does. Because at the center of who God is, is this never-ending, self-giving love. Jesus is always giving himself away. It's like a, a pouring out. We're going to read this at the end. Paul says it like this in Philippians 2, that he empties himself. He pours himself out. But, but, but God is infinite and perfect, and when he pours himself out, he never runs out. So he's just always unendingly giving up of himself for you and for me because he loves us. That's the way of the cross. And that's why Christians and the Christian community is called to be a community that suffers, that gives itself away for the good of others. Secondly, tonight, we're a suffering community because of the way of glory. These are the next two verses. Verse 25 and 26 say this. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus, what he's doing here, he's opening our eyes to the reality that what we think of as a life, as our life, as true and full life, isn't what we think it is. And in fact, the life that we are after is actually the opposite of the real life that Jesus came that we might have, okay? I, I think we all want life. I think we all want to have a good life, and we all have some, our own definition of what that is, right? So we're all after something, and, and it's sort of the, the things we chase after to give us success and 
achievement and meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. Like, that's the life that we want, right? And what Jesus is saying is that if you spend your life chasing after those things for yourself, you'll never find what you're looking for. It's like a dog chasing its tail. No matter how fast you go, you, you never actually can find life because that isn't where real life is. And even if you get those things to some degree, they'll leave you empty. It doesn't matter how much you get. You'll always want more, right? And, and instead, he says that in order to get, re- to get life, to get this real life, you have to give your life away, okay? You have to shape your story to that self-giving love of Jesus who gives his life away. So the question is, what is, what is real life? What is this life that we can get if we give our lives away? we got life meaning all these different things here, right? Well, here's this. The, the life that Jesus promises is ours if we give ourselves away. It, it's nothing less than a share in his eternal glory forever. Jesus is saying you actually can have a share of his eternal glory, the eternal glory that he had since before the beginning of time and that he gave up when he came to earth, that that glory that's his, that he has won in his victory over death, he says you can be a part of that. Real fullness, real wholeness, real healing, real joy, glory. But the way to get it is to throw your life away. I have this picture in my head of like a sitcom where you got like an old grandfather from New York City. My, my grandfather was a Jew from New York City, so I have, this, I have his voice in my head saying this to me, like, don't throw your life away. <laughs> Jesus says, throw your life away. And you'll have life. You'll have glory. And, and he said, this, this part is a little scary. This is why we know he's talking about glory, because right after this sentence, he says that he's going to come again in, what? The glory of his father where he's going to repay every person according to his deeds. You know what that means? It means that if you give yourself away, you can have that glory, but if you insist on living for yourself, you don't have any part in that. Are we going to be the kind of people who embrace this reality of giving our lives away? And Jesus has shown forth his glory in in all kinds of ways. At the end of this passage, he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He's basically saying, some of you are going to see my glory. And most scholars of the Bible think that what he's talking about is something that happens in the very next chapter in the same town a few days later. Uh, we call it the transfiguration. Basically what happens is that uh, Jesus' three best friends, Peter, James, and John, they go with him up this mountain, probably Mount Hermon, which is in this area. And um, Jesus has changed. He's kind of unveiled. The, the fullness of his glory is displayed. He's shining white like lightning. They hear a voice from heaven, right? They're getting a little foretaste. They're getting a little glimpse. They're getting just a little sight of the glory of Jesus. That's that same glory that he says is going to be shared with you and with me if we follow him, if we follow the way of the cross. And, of course, the the most glorious thing that Jesus has done is his victory over death, the resurrection of the dead. He suffered and died, but it wasn't the end of the story. The story doesn't end in death. And I want you to know if, if, if all of you think about as, as what Christianity is, is that Jesus died on the cross, that's not very good news. Because if that's all we believe, it means that our God is dead. But he's not dead. He's in glory. He's alive. 
And I don't just mean like kind of representatively alive. I don't just mean spiritually alive. I don't just mean that there's a ghost that looks like Jesus somewhere. I mean, he's really alive. And that right now, he is existing with the Father and the Spirit in glory. And he wants to give it to you. Because he loves you. And since his story ends not in death but in glory, your story, when you follow him, doesn't end in death, but ends in glory. We, we suffer, we give ourselves away, because that's the way to glory. It's the way of glory. And, and, and the fullness of life that you want, it doesn't come from money, and it doesn't come from sex, and it doesn't come from accolades, and it doesn't come from jobs, it doesn't come from security. It comes from you being connected to the glory of Jesus, which he invites you to through faith. It comes by the way of the cross. Suffering and then glory, that's Jesus. And so he says that's us as his people who follow him, okay? So a, a couple of things here is by way of application for us to consider as a community. Um, when, when we take up our cross and follow after Jesus, I want, you, I want to be clear here. What, you, what you're doing is you are becoming a vessel just like Jesus through which God is going to bring his self-giving love to the world, okay? So it's a very serious part of our call. And I think it means that first we need to learn how to pay attention to what we want for ourselves. You have to stop and you have to pay attention to what we want for ourselves. Because you can't say no to that until you understand what it is. And this is why we're talking about community. Because you, on your own, living your life, have zero chance of saying no to your desires. They're just too strong. That's why we need friends. That's why we need small groups. That's why we need community. That's why we need to come and sit down in a, in, in a space like this with 80 other people. And remember, I am not in this by myself. There are other people out there. We, the, the need that we have for encouragement and accountability in this is, is huge. So we actually have to help each other say no to ourselves. Okay. And then the third thing is that we have to start paying attention to the needs around us. The call of this group in this space right now is to give ourselves away for the good of everyone else on this campus. So we gotta pay attention to what the needs of this campus are. Where are those places of, of brokenness, of loneliness, of sorrow, of heartbreak? That's where you're supposed to go give. The, the second thing is this. Um, Self-denial sounds like a pretty noble idea until we're denied something that we want. And then all of a sudden it's incredibly painful. It's, it's, it's incredibly painful. And, and I want you to, uh, to try to think right now about something in your life going on right now or recently where you didn't get something that you wanted. I want you to think about where you're experiencing pain right now. And I want you to think about where you're experiencing embarrassment right now. Or where you're experiencing failure right now. Or where you're experiencing weakness and brokenness. Right now, I want you to think of that thing that's the thing that when you're driving by yourself and that song comes on from high school and it makes you cry and you don't know why. That was me today, but it was Ben Richter. It's not even a sad song. But all of a sudden, I started feeling those places in my life where I feel empty. I want you to think of what that is right now. And I want to remind you that there is really good news for you. If you know Jesus, if you are part of the people of God, there is really good news about humiliation. And there's really good news about failure. 
there's really good news about rejection. There's really good news about weakness and brokenness. There's, there's really good news. And the good news is that that is where you are. You are on the way. You are on the path that leads to glory. And what you will tell yourself and what the world will tell you is that when you find yourself in that kind of place, you better get out quick and get back on the path to success. To get back on the path of having your stuff together. To get back on the path of looking good so that other people think you're on top of it. And the call of Jesus is to say, no, actually right there, right there in your self-denial, right there in the denial that's inflicted on you by the world around you and other people, that's exactly where I want you to be. And that's exactly where I'm going to be with you because that is the way that leads to glory. You're not crazy. You're not alone. You're actually in just the right place. And at least the glory. My... uh, my favorite movie is called The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. If, if you have not seen this movie, um, I'm going to give the ending away, so spoiler alert. Um, also, I would say it's like a pretty intense and graphic movie and a brutal movie in some ways. So, like, think twice before maybe watching it uh, if you're sensitive to those things. But um, I, I love this movie because this movie is about uh, the search for hope in a place of suffering. And, and the place is a, is a prison, Shawshank, Shawshank Prison. Uh, and, and in this place of suffering, there's this main character named Andy Dufresne. And Andy Dufresne finds a way to escape from Shawshank Prison. And he finds a way to break out of his, of his cell, but there's no way for him to get outside of the prison. And the only way that he can figure out is to break a hole into this sewage pipe. This is the pipe that brings the sewage from the prison out. And it's, it's, this, it's this pipe about this big around, and it's 500 yards long. And so Andy Dufresne gets all his stuff that he cares about and he wraps it in a plastic bag and he crawls into this teeny little pipe that's filled with the nastiest and foulest stuff you can possibly imagine. And he crawls elbow over elbow for 500 yards to the end of this pipe. And and the best scene of the movie, and and, uh, to, to my mind, the best scene of any movie of all time, okay, we can debate later, is that when Andy gets to the end of this pipe and he kind of falls out into this creek and it's pouring rain, he, he used the thunder from a thunderstorm to, to, to disguise the noise of him breaking into this sewage pipe. And he tears off his shirt that's covered in this foul, nasty stuff. And he stands up and he lifts his, hand, his, his face up to the rain and he just puts his hands up like this. and just revels in the glory of his freedom. It's a beautiful moment. Jesus on the cross had placed on him the foulness and the nastiness and the stench of your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. He bore it all on himself. In his suffering. But it wasn't the end of the story. His suffering actually led to life. It actually led to glory when he rose from the dead. And we can suffer and we can give ourselves away because our foulness has already been suffered for. Our stench has already been removed from us. You're clean. You're free. You're washed. Now you can love people. Jesus walked the road of suffering for us. This is is how Paul says it in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is a sort of a commentary on these, on these passages of, which, of Jesus. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, 
he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He suffered and he was glorified. And because Jesus emptied himself for us, we can empty ourselves for others. We can actually say no to ourselves so that we might be a blessing of Jesus to the people around us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of our time tonight. And Jesus, we praise you for the suffering that you endured for us out of love. And Jesus, we praise you for the glory that you secured for us because you love us. And I pray that you would help us to abide in you so much as as individuals and as a community that our lives might be shaped by suffering, by saying no to ourselves, by being a blessing to others, and that we might trust that what's in store for us on the road through suffering is life and glory in you. In Jesus' name, amen.